invite you to take your scriptures this morning and turn back to those two Luke passages that we read a little bit ago. It's hard to imagine this year has flown by so fast, but Christmas is almost upon us. It's the beginning of the Christmas season, and I'm sure you'll agree that for many of us, it's one of the most hectic times of the year. There's just so much to get ready for Christmas. Perhaps you're already thinking and have planning and made a list of your own. We all probably have lists, and we keep checking them often. For weeks, we check them. We go over all the preparations that have to be made for Christmas. Has the food been ordered or purchased? What day do we get a tree? Or do we put up our fake, I'm sorry, faux tree and decorate it? Have the Christmas cards been sent? Has the dreaded family picture been taken? Are the presents, uh, have they been bought? Have they been wrapped? Um, And most importantly, have the cookies and pies been made? And always, no matter how much you plan and how many lists you have, isn't it true that you always feel like you're missing something? There's still something that needs to be done. See, undoubtedly, Christmas chaos is fairly normal for a lot of people. It just a really, truly a simple perusal of the internet shows that you need to prepare if you're going to enjoy Christmas. There was an article I read called Conquering the Holidays. Now that sounds like a battle, doesn't it? And they said if you really want to conquer the holidays, you better start early in November or you're going to be defeated. And then all the string on the you know, strings of articles, seven things to get ready for Christmas, eight things, 10 things, 20 things. And then there was the complete Christmas preparation checklist, 71 things you had to do to get ready for Christmas, including how you can make it the best Christmas for your pets. All the preparations that people make are meant to be helpful to have a great time of the year at Christmas. All the prep lists that I looked at were pretty normal, and they included what you expected to be on a Christmas preparation list. There was the presents, the cards, the food, the decorations. But one thing, in fact, I would say the most important thing, was conspicuously absent from every single list, even the complete list, which in the end wasn't so complete, No one that I read had stopped at all to even think that you might want to prepare your heart for Christmas. Oh, you could prepare everything else, but not your heart. See, what if Christmas and your life and mine had at the top of our list to get ready for Christmas, it was our hearts? What if we did that? How would that change everything about Christmas? How we hear, how we Ask and how we answer this quick question. Are you ready for Christmas? You see, it's possible to be prepared for Christmas, but not to be prepared for Christ. And if you read the scriptures, you'll know before the very first Christmas took place, it was actually God himself that was preparing the world to meet his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. He was getting us ready for Christmas. You look at our text, would you? Chapter 1, verse 17. The very end of that, that verse, it says this. To make ready, in fact, it's two synonyms used side by side to emphasize the preparation. To make ready for the Lord a people prepared. 
And that's awkward sentence structure, but Luke did it purposely because in the Greek language, you put something very first in the sentence or very last when it doesn't normally belong there because it's emphatic. It's what you really want to get across. And here's what Luke wants us to get this morning. Are you prepared? Are we as a church, are we a people prepared? Are we ready for Christ and for Christmas? Luke intends for his readers and for all of us this morning that we would ask and answer this question, what does it mean? What does it look like to be a people prepared for the Lord? Well, you might, it's just what you think, to be prepared is exactly what it sounds like, to be ready. It's used famously of Jesus. I go to prepare a place for you. It's the same word. Jesus went to heaven. You know what he's doing? He's making heaven ready for us. It's even used on the opposite end of the structure, not just heaven, but hell. It says hell is prepared for the devil and his angels. But no matter what you do in the Bible when you quote that verse or that word, it's about making yourself ready. Heaven, hell, life, whatever it is. See, in Luke's infancy narrative, the story about Jesus, John the baptizer is a main figure. You know what? He's a main figure because he's been given the responsibility to do exactly what I'm talking about. It's his job to prepare people for Jesus, to make them ready for Christmas. Chapter 1, you don't have to turn there, Luke's Gospel, same chapter, verse 76, Zacharias, his dad, says this, And you, child, meaning John the baptizer, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go, you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways. You see, according to John the baptizer, you can't be ready for Christmas unless you make two turns. Mark it down. We're going to look at both of them. Two, I call them two Christmas U-turns. One is vertical and one is horizontal. One is a turning to God and the other is a turning to others. And that's what I call holistic repentance. Not one-dimensional repentance, whether it's just God or just others. No, Christmas is making two U-turns. Holistic repentance. So we want to take the few minutes we have this morning... And we want to unpack both of these Christmas U-turns and look at what exactly and specifically what holistic repentance would look like this Christmas in your life and mine. So let's do them one at a time. Vertical Christmas U-turn. In our context, you have to realize as you're reading the book of Luke, God has not given any revelation in 400 years. There hasn't been a prophet. There hasn't been scripture There hasn't been anything that God has been saying from heaven, so to speak. And all of a sudden, God breaks on the scene with an angelic visit to Zacharias and Elizabeth. And it's not just any ordinary visit, but it's a special visit because Elizabeth is barren. Five women in the Old Testament were barren. And the Old Testament, see, the story of the Old Testament is just going to continue on after a 400-year stretch. And another barren woman is coming on the scene because God is ready to do miraculous things again. And so here we have a woman who has a child, and that child is going to be John the baptizer. And what is his job? He will go before Jesus. This is a quotation from Isaiah chapter 40 in verse 3. In the wilderness, 
Prepare the way of the Lord. That's what the message of John the baptizer is. Now you have to understand to get the full picture of how important this is. In the ancient Near East, when a king would travel to another place, especially if he was going to war, that all of his soldiers and all the prep people would go before him and they would make sure that where he was going, there was a road that he could travel on. So they didn't go anywhere for the king when he was coming unless they made a road for him. See, God is saying that Christmas was John the baptizer building a road for the king was coming. He was building a road not physically for Jesus to walk on, but spiritually. See, the king was coming. He was coming to Israel And he was coming to get into their life. And see, automatically he wants us to think, you know what preparation for Christmas, getting ready for? It's not about the externals, which our world is all about at this time of the year. It's about the internals. It's about God making you ready on the inside, not just on the outside for Christmas. And if you look carefully, would you, at the text? John's ministry has three parts to it. We're only going to look at one. John's preparation is prophesied, and that's why the Isaiah 40 text is used. That's why a barren woman is mentioned, because this is a continuation of the redemption story all along in the Old Testament, and we're just now bringing it to a a climax. John's preparation is prophesied. In fact, Matthew 11, 4 says, "If if you can accept it, John the baptizer is the Elijah to come. That's the next phrase in our verse. John's preparation is powerful because look what the text says. He will come in the spirit and power of Elijah. Now, when you think of spirit and power, what do you think of automatically? Miraculous things. But you know, John the baptizer, he didn't do any miracles that we know of. He didn't raise any from one from the dead. He didn't heal anybody. He didn't do anything. You know all he did? He preached a message. But if you go back, if he's the John, if he's the Elijah to come, you know what Elijah did? He did all kinds of miraculous things. But you know what he's known for most of all on Mount Carmel? It says, Elijah did this. God, please help your people as we have this sacrifice. And God brings down the fire on the altar. He says, turn their hearts back to you. That's exactly the same phraseology in our text used of John the baptizer Do you know what the great thing, the miraculous thing that he's going to do? You know what he does at Christmas? You know what I think and pray that he's doing this morning? That he's doing something so miraculous that a healing or a miracle couldn't even begin to match it. And that is change you and me on the inside. See, John's preparation was prophesied. It was powerful. But you know what? It was also purposeful. Can you look at our text now, verses 16 and 17? John, Luke 1, 16 and 17, and we'll see the two turns. And he will, circle it, he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. That's a vertical U-turn. The second one in verse 17, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah, second one, circle it, to turn the hearts of their fathers to their children. Here's the thing about our text. Ready? Ready? Israel had been going to temple. They had been studying Torah. We would say today they were churchgoers. They are people who read their Bible. See, they didn't, even though they were waiting for Messiah, they never would have believed in a million years that they needed to repent. 
That's what turn is. The word turn is shorthand in Hebrew for repent. They would have never thought. They just wanted the Messiah to come and free them from their enemies. But they never thought that the greatest freedom they need was on the inside. They weren't ready to receive his gift of repentance. Let me illustrate that. So perhaps I'm sitting at Christmas and I'm giving gifts and I get a gift and I open it up and I unwrap it. And in that box is a book. And the book's title is How to Win Friends and Influence People. And I look at that and I go, why would I need that? And then I get a second present. I open it up and the book says How to, how to Lose 30 Pounds in 30 Days. I go, what are you trying to say? <laughs> and then, then I get it because the third box of present I open up is a year's supply of Rogaine. Now, see, here's the thing. If you don't believe that you are obnoxious, overweight, and bald, then you won't think that you need any of those presents. So you have to realize, oh, that's me? Am I like that? You see, in their lives, they didn't think that way. The Messiah was coming, and they, think they needed victory. They needed someone to show power. They never in a million years would, oh, that's me? That's, that's what I really need? See, they were at church. They had Bibles. They were practicing Torah. They were trying to keep the rules. But they didn't realize is that they needed a change. Not a superficial change, but a supernatural change that started in their heart. See, John was preparing a people for Christmas by building a road of repentance into their lives. And everyone in Israel needed it. They needed it in order to receive Christ and be ready for his coming. They needed to travel a road that was infrequently walked by most everybody in their day. And it's just like that today. See, most people come to church, especially at Christmas and Easter, and they're not on the road of repentance. They're really on the road of religiosity. They're on the road to try say, Pastor, I'm doing the best I can. Listen, if you knew my environment and my upbringing, and you know, we're trying to keep the rules, I'm trying to do good. I'm trying to earn God's favor. See, it's not the road of repentance that most people are on today. It's the road of self-righteousness. It's the road of, I've got to be good enough, and I'm working at it. See, the road of Christmas that leads to Christ, John says, is a one-way street. And John says, I have to build this road for Jesus because you can't come to him. He has to come to you. That's the road that we need to get on. Now, all of us know, and I think you've probably done this, and I won't have you raise hands. You'll come forward at the end of the service maybe, but all of us have done U-turns. Can I say all of us have made illegal U-turns? But we've all made U-turns. And you know what a U-turn is? It's simply realizing this, that I'm on the wrong road, and I need to get back on the right one. Isn't that what a U-turn is? You see the text? He will turn, turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, which means this. Here's a people going to temple. Here's the people studying Torah, but they need to be turned to God. You see that? He needs to turn many. And it wasn't just a few people as if everybody was doing well except for a handful. No, he says many, not just a few. See, that's true, I think, in a lot of churches, a lot of people. You don't realize you're on the wrong road. You don't realize, oh, those presents? Those crazy, I need those presents. Because that's me. That's me. 
See, to turn to the Lord their God is a term in the Old Testament, a phrase that's used often when people were idolatrous, where they used to worship God or thought they did, and now they had gone to substitutes for God. They had put other things in their God, and now at this time, see, it's not God at the center of their lives anymore. It's self at the center. And Luke is very careful how he words it. Look at it. He says, turn many of the children of Israel. Do you see? They're God's people. They are God's chosen people. But here's what Luke's saying. If you want to be ready for Christmas, it's not enough just to be Jewish. Did you realize today that if you're Baptist, that's not getting ready for Christmas? That's not enough. If you're Baptist or Lutheran or Methodist or Presbyterian or Catholic, see, that doesn't make you right with God. That doesn't make you ready for the Christ. Not at all. He says, oh, it's far deeper than that. You remember what Elijah did? God turned their hearts back to you. That's what we need. And when Israel turned from their idolatry and when the fire came down and consumed the altar, they cry out this, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. See, that's what we're looking for. That's what God's wanting at Christmas. In order to see, you need to make a U-turn. You have to be convinced that you're on the wrong road. Now, am I not right to say that is very difficult for men? When you're out on the road and you're driving and your wife's sitting next to you, at least it used to be with my dad when I was growing up, we don't think that we don't, we don't do wrong turns as guys. We know where we're going. We have directions. And our wives really don't know better than us, or so we want to think. So we don't want to admit that we're on the road. Oh, honey, you need to turn around. No, no, this is it. I've been here a hundred times. Done this before. We don't want to think our wives know better. Now, I learned that easily. My wife is far better about directions than I am. And that's why we have GPS. But I still believe sometimes that Google is not really accurate. Have you ever done that? Oh, yeah, I know. that. The, I know it says turn right, but have you ever done And you think you're going the right way. Maybe it's that Google, it's the woman's voice on there. I don't know. <laughs> but I even think not only is my wife wrong, but the GPS is wrong. I mean, is that really how we are? It is. It is. Israel thought they knew God. They really thought they knew him, that they knew. They thought that they were ready for Christmas. But you know what? They crucified him. They weren't ready for Christmas. You know why? Because they wouldn't admit they needed to take a U-turn. They didn't want to admit that they needed to get off the road, the wrong road, and get on the right one. Is that you? Do you, this morning, do you at Christmas, do you need to make a relational U-turn? I mean, vertically, between you and God. I mean, that's what Christmas is about. All of us, listen, every one of us in this room, and this is what we need to understand, all of us need a relational U-turn when it comes to our relationship with God. Listen to the prophet, Isaiah 53, 6. All we have, like sheep, have gone astray. Listen, and we have turned everyone to his own way. Did you hear what he said? In our sinfulness, everyone, not some of us, all of us, every one of us have turned Away from God, it's sin. In the text, the Hebrew word astray, we have turned astray. See, it means to wander off, to wander around aimlessly. See, you know what sin is? Is when you wander around and you do not turn around. That's what sin is. That's what people do. And there might be people here this morning. You're here at your church and see here. You wander around. You're aimlessly. You do this in life. And then you put God on Sunday mornings and you try to fit him in here and think that that's what he wants from you. 
No, he wants far more than that. He doesn't want you just wandering aimlessly around in his life with you at the center of everything. And by the way, isn't that what the text says? Everyone has turned to his own way. It's either God's way or your way. And we live in a world of self-salvation, self-righteousness, self-expression, self-identity, self-autonomy, because it's all about the individual in our land. But Christmas turns that on its head. See, we need to enter at the first all, all we like sheep have gone astray, and then exit at the last all, and it says, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. See, you cannot be ready for Christmas if you do not know the Christ of Christmas. Salvation, in a nutshell, John would tell us, is turning from self to God. And notice it says that they would turn hearts to the Lord their God. See, this is not just about you being saved from sin so that you could have a ticket to heaven. This is a holistic repentance that goes so deep in your life that you say, Jesus, not only do I want you to save me from my sins, I want you to be Lord. I want you to take over my, I want you to call the shots on everything. See, most people aren't looking for that in life, especially at Christmas. Christians, you're here this morning, and maybe God says to you this morning through his word, you need to make a vertical U-turn. There are some people, perhaps even in God's house here today, and you, think, you say you know him, but you are definitely going down the wrong road in your relationship with him and some of the things that you watch and some of the things that you listen to, the things that you do, your language, your motives, greed, Hatred, lust in your heart. See, he says, it's time to take the off-ramp. It's time to get back on the highway of holiness that John the baptizer had, had built. When the GPS goes off and you don't listen, and I've experienced it, you think you know better, you know what it tells you? Rerouting. Have you ever heard that? Hate that word. Rerouting. You know what God's saying this morning to you? Rerouting. You profess to know me. Do you really? Because if you do, you'd be rerouting. You'd be making a change in direction in your life and how you live your life and your ethics and your morals and your values and your priorities. He said it would change. Because here, getting ready for Christmas requires a holistic repentance. It's not just vertical. It's vertical and horizontal repentance. Read the Bible for yourself. Biblical repentance is not one-dimensional. You need two relational U-turns to get ready for Christmas. Your relationship with God and your relationship with others. Did you see in the text? Verse 16, he would turn the children to the Lord their God. But notice verse 17, if if you're still there. And he will go before him to turn the hearts of the children, fathers, to the children. See, here's what happened. If you want to be ready for Christmas, God says, you repent toward me and you let me take over your life and be the Lord of your life and everything, not just the things that are easy, not the convenient things. It's not selective giving my, your life to me. It's all of it. See, and when that happens, here's what a result will be. You will overflow in getting right with others, he says. You'll turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. That's the horizontal part. Holistic repentance turns people back to God and each other, not like Kevin McAllister. Do you know who Kevin McAllister is? You do. 
What was he famous for? Yes, Home Alone, right? You watch that movie. He gets left behind by his family. <laughs> he misses the vacation trip. He's all alone in his house. And, you know, the majority of it's the funny, stupid robbers who are complete idiots. Um, but his neighbor across the street, see, there's a serious part to it. See, his family has left him alone, and he's, he's upset with them. They forgot him. He didn't matter. But his neighbor, the older gentleman, who ends up helping him in the end, see, he's been estranged from his son for years. They don't talk. They don't see each other at Christmas. And there's this little scene where they're both sitting in a church, the little boy and the old man next to each other, and they're talking about their problems, and they try to get each other to do horizontal repentance, to get right with the family or to your son. And by the end of the show, they do. And it's really cool. It's a cool Christmas. Amongst a bunch of funny, crazy stuff, Here's a, there's a message in there. You know what? Christmas is getting right with each other, and it is. But you know what's always true about Hollywood? There's no vertical part. They're ironic, right? Sitting in a church, but there's no mention of God in any of it. Not in his life, not in the little boy's life. See, what our world wants you to do is think that you can get right with each other because it's Christmas and aren't we going to spend this together? But there's no God in it. No God in your life. Can I tell you this? That doesn't work. All I have to do is list the wars, the mass shootings, the racist problems that we face in our culture. See, half-istic, half-istic repentance doesn't get you ready for Christmas. You can't just say, God, I'm going to get ready for Christmas. I'm going to be right with you this year. Or on the other flip side of it, oh, God, you know what? I'm going to get right with other people around me for Christmas. See, you can't do one or the other. So you know what? You get ready for Christmas is this. I do both. I need to do both. The heart of someone who is ready for Christmas, who is really prepared for the Christ, moves toward God and towards people. Let me add, even the people that you're most upset with, even the people that you normally would not move toward at all. See, John the baptizer tells us not only that we have to turn to God, but we have to turn to others. Well, Pastor Walker, what would that look like? That's what chapter 3 is. Would you turn there? Chapter 3, verses 8 through 14 so you can have a picture. So this isn't just theoretical. This isn't just abstract theology. This isn't some pie-in-the-sky thing. No, this has reality to it. This is not some cozy movie scene in a church between a little boy and an older man. No, this is real-life scenarios that John lists for us because he knows that's what you go through. It says this in verse 8, bear fruits in keeping with repentance. You want to know how your repentance is true or not? You want to know if it is? Are you bearing any fruit? Are you demonstrating it by a changed life? True repentance is not just a change of mind. It's a change of mind that leads to a change of life. One pastor I read this week says, you know you're truly repentant when you see the fruits of your repentance. See, here's how repentance works. If you're not familiar with it, this is how it works. It first works its way into you. And then once it works its way into you, it works its way out of you. Lived out repentance is the only true repentance that the Bible understands. In John's little text here, he's going to tie it together. In fact, 
Luke's gospel is the only one that puts the vertical and the horizontal together in this story. It's the only one that has this rendition of, Jesus's, uh, of John the Baptist's words. In the text, if you look there in chapter 3, there are three groups he's talking to. Crowd, verses 10 and 11. Tax collectors, verses 12 and 13. And soldiers in verse 14. Each of these three groups, listen to this. Did you catch it? Each of these three groups are asking John this question. How do we apply repentance to our everyday lives? Both of these accounts are unique to Luke. And the uniqueness is this. The applications that John gives them for repentance is nothing to do with how you respond to God. Read the text for yourself. He tells you, you know how you can tell whether you're repenting or not? He doesn't say anything about God, not one word about God in any of the verses to any of the three groups. But he, he tells them this, you know how you can know if you're repenting? Measure it this way. How are you responding and interacting with people? Do you get that? You know how you can know if you have vertically repented toward God? How do you treat people chapter 3 verse 10 here's what the crowd says john every three all three examples say the exact same frame what shall we do what shall we do verse 12 what shall we do verse 14 and he tells them you know how you really want to repent if you're a crowd person here's what you do you share your clothes and your food the things that get make it easy for you in life the things that bring substance that make it every day possible for you share what you have if you have two tunics tunics someone has none you give one away so that you only have one and they now have one you have more than enough food and you see someone who doesn't you give them that food see it's you know how I love you God how I love this guy who has only one jacket Verse 12, tax collectors, what shall we do? Don't scam and misuse your authority, he says. Don't be like all the other tax collectors around you. You be different, why? Because I'm the Lord your God. He tells the soldiers, what do you do? Well, don't power over people and extort them for money because you have Roman authority. Now, I want you to do this. Take those three categories, crowds, tax collectors, and soldiers, and, and submit, I should say, change them and exchange them for this. Businessmen, nurses, bankers, Amazon workers, put whatever category you're in. See, John wants us to measure repentance to God by what we do in the lives of others. Real life scenarios. Ask yourself this morning, am I generous with all that God's blessed me with? We could go in our closets this morning and see how many clothes we have hanging there. We could open our refrigerators and see how much food we have there. But do we share with people as need? Do we hear prayer requests and people's need? Do we act on it when we hear it? Do we do something to demonstrate that we have repented? Or we say, oh, the church will care for that. Oh, someone else will take care of that. Do we use our position to take advantage of other people? Or do we do it so that we can serve other people? Am I powering over people for personal gain or do I power under people for their gain? See, the point of repentance in John the Baptizer's message is not, how I, not only how I relate to God, but how I interact with others. I think the best example of this is Zacchaeus 
If you read Luke 19, you'll find that Jesus stops by the sycamore tree, and it was his job that day to eat with all the famous people in town and all the power brokers. And so they're walking through, and Jesus has this large crowd, and they're expected to turn down this street and go eat lunch and have all the fancy food. And he stops, and he looks up in the tree, and he says, Zacchaeus, come down. I'm staying. No one, no rabbi would ever stay, say, with a chief tax collector, nobody, unless he wanted to prove a point. That he was walking down the road that John had built and Zacchaeus needed to get on it. See, it doesn't matter anywhere, anywho, it doesn't matter who you are, God has made a road and you have to see that you need to get on it. You are the crowd, people. You are the tax collectors. You are the soldiers, you and I, all of us. And God has built a road and that road has holistic repentance on it. And that if you're going to be right with God, you have to be able to get right with others. You have to get off the road. And Zacchaeus takes Jesus and welcomes him into his house. And when Jesus is about to leave, see, he had changed vertically because Jesus was now in his life. And you know what that meant? He says, I'm going to correct all the wrongs and reverse all the bad things that I've done to other people. I'm going to pay back fourfold if I have used my position to extort money from people. See, it's the true sign of repentance. It's not my religiosity that demonstrates my salvation. It's my interaction with people. Again, not like Ebenezer Scrooge. Oh, we love that Christmas carol, don't we? I mean, he's Scrooge. He, he's not interested in anybody except himself. And he's rude to people, even the little boy who's crippled. And we all don't like him. But see, the ghosts come three ghosts of Christmas and they talk to him and then eventually they show him his own grave and he knows he's going to die and he's been a horrible person. And so he gets the Christmas spirit and he goes and buys the big turkey and he's giving away stuff and he's being nice to everybody. Oh, what a Christmas story. But it is a great Christmas story in this sense, but it's only horizontal. There's no mention of God, just death, ghosts, but not the true living God. Can I tell you, there's so much more to Christmas in that. It's changing in a way that's not superficial, but a deep down change that starts with your relationship with God and then overflows to relationship with people. It is making two relational U-turns. It's turning to God and turning to others. And I would tell you this morning that people who make a Christmas U-turn do so first and foremost in their hearts. And when they do, they are the willing ones to take initiative to go see their spouse after church and say, we, our relationship isn't what it ought to be. And I want to tell you, my, I am broken over it. And I've asked God at church today to repent, me to repent, and I want to do it to you now. That's what it looks like. It looks like friends who haven't been talking for a long time and don't even see each other. In fact, maybe even in church, they go the opposite ways, not to pass by. It's calling them, setting up a meeting, and saying, let's talk it over because we should be friends. We need to be friends. It's teenagers going to their parents and saying, you know what, I understood today that I am rebellion against your authority, against God's authority. And I want you to know, I want to turn away from that and turn to God. 
And I know what that means. And when I do, I need to come back to you as my mom and dad and say, please forgive me. See, that's what it looks like. Spouses, children, friends, co-workers, people side by side. See, that's what the message of Christmas, that's how you get ready. You won't find it on any other list. No, you'll find it on John's though. So ask, let me ask you, is that really you? Are you ready for Christmas? If you're ready for a cultural Christmas, you ready for a cultural Christmas? See, you will move toward others, but leave God out. If you are ready for a religious Christmas, you will move toward God and leave others out. But if you move toward a biblical Christmas, a holistic Christmas, you will move toward God and others and leave neither out. Oh, I'm asking you this morning, don't just have a cultural Christmas. Don't just have a religious Christmas this year. Have a real one, a biblical one. And ask yourself this, what U-turns do I need to make today? Let's pray. With every head bowed and every eye closed and no one looking around, are you ready for Christmas? No, really, are you? Put aside the tree and the decorations and the cookies and the meal and the presents. Are you ready for the Christ? They really weren't ready, by and large, for him in the first century. But a lot hasn't changed in the 21st century. I'm not asking for cultural change or religious change, but have you made the real change, the heart change? Oh God, you'd say, I need to be right with you. I need to live my life under your lordship. I need to let you take control. And I know that would mean a cost. It cost Zacchaeus. It cost him to invite Jesus into his life and get right with others. It really cost him. It will cost you, I guarantee you. People won't know what to think if you got right with God and others. The changes that you would make, the way that you would talk and interact, it would be so different. But that's what it would mean to be ready for Christmas. Will you count the cost? Will you say, God, I need you. I'm the one who needs the gift of repentance. I never thought that was true until I came to church today. But you know what? It's me. I don't even know what the person next to me who came with me today, I don't know what they would say if I repented. But truthfully, it's what God says that and thinks matters the most. With every head bowed and every eye closed, would there be someone here to say, Pastor Walker, here, here's my, I need to take a Christmas relational U-turn. Vertically, horizontally, and perhaps most likely both. With every head bowed and every eye closed, you say, Pastor Walker, please pray for me. Help me to be humble enough to receive the gift of repentance from the Lord that I could be right with him and others and take the steps necessary to do that today. Drop your pride. Forget about what other people will say and get ready for Christmas. Would you do that? Say, Pastor Walker, I need that. Pray for me. Thank you. Anyone else in the balcony, main floor? Raise your hand. I'll pray for you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Anyone else? Just raise your hand. Thank you. 
thank you. Maybe you're raising your hand, but the person you need to talk to about getting right with you, they're not raising their hand. Did you know how hard that will be? You still need to follow through with it. You do what's right and leave the results with God. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, and he will exalt you at the right time. Father, may your word not return void, but accomplish all of your purposes in our hearts this morning. I pray, God, for those who raise their hand, particularly these individuals, but I'm sure it must be so, Lord, that others should have. And they're still fighting pride in what people will think. They're not ready for Christmas yet. They really are not convinced that they need repentance. Father, would you be patient and kind, continue to work in their hearts as you did ours, and bring them to that place of brokenness. For those who did raise their hand, Father, help them to have the courage to take the steps necessary today, not tomorrow, not some other time, today, and make that vertical and horizontal repentance so they could be ready for Christmas. Work as only you can by your spirit and for your glory. I pray for Christ's sake. Amen.